Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Julie told me I needed to preach this series light and make it funny. Let me just tell you, there's no way to preach this series light, all right? I was going to preach it the way the Lord gave it to me. And y'all can like, like me or not, I guess. I don't know. See, we're taught to, to hide dirt. Uh, it starts out innocently enough when we're, when we're young, uh, and it carries on through as we grow older. How many of you have ever done, done this? Um, push stuff in the closet just or under the bed right before company comes over because you had dirt in your house. I know none of y'all have never done that. Uh, okay, all right, do I need altar call again? Uh, how, how many of you have ever done this? Uh, you dust around the vase rather than moving the vase, right? Uh, yeah, I thought so. Or, uh, this, is, this is one I know the guys are probably pretty bad about. How many of you have ironed the front of your shirt but left the back unironed because you know you're going to be wearing a coat and nobody would be able to see it, right? See, we're taught to hide dirt. We cover up dirt. That's what we do. Our, obs- our obsession with appearing uh, clean and covering up the dirt and the unsightly and the blemishes of our life had le- have led to a lot of things. You remember back when I was a little younger, we had, you don't need this anymore because hardly anybody uses a typewriter anymore, but I remember the invention of this great product called Whiteout. Right, And we use that because we wanted to cover up blemishes. Or now in our day, it has produced things like the Tide Stick so that you can carry it in your pocket and nobody knows. And when you get the stain or the spot, you can get rid of it. It's even led to the rise of plastic surgery because we are obsessed with covering the blemishes of our life. We really don't care about being clean. We just want to keep the pretense up. But before we get too hard on ourselves, what we've got to understand is that we learned this very early on from the matriarch and patriarch of our race because Adam and Eve, from the very beginning, taught us that what we should try to do is cover up our dirt. The problem is is that the account in Genesis that we're all so familiar with also teaches us that when we try to cover our dirt, what it does is it breaks off our relationship with God. It brings this rift and this this chasm in our lives where we cannot have this tight-knit relationship with God like He wants us to have. It's, dr- it's driven home even further in Leviticus chapter 21, verses 21 through 23. It says this, it says, No man of the seed of Aaron, the priest, that hath a blemish, shall come nigh to offer the offerings of Jehovah made by fire. He hath a blemish. He shall not come nigh to offer the bread of his God. He shall eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy. Only only he shall not go in unto the veil, nor come nigh unto the altar, because he hath a blemish, that he profane not my sanctuaries, for I am Jehovah who sanctifieth him." Dirt disqualifies and interrupts our priestly duties. It it keeps us from having this close contact with God. Now, our dirt has been the subject of men's thoughts for centuries. It started uh, way back a long time ago. We're going to talk about a little bit about that. But let me just say this. Dirt is old. Satan's bag of tricks gets shaken up and mixed up sometimes, but the reality is is that his bag of tricks really hasn't changed that much. Dirt is old, and what was 
the problem in the early days and in centuries past is still the same problems and issues that we deal with today. The contents are the same. Dirt is old. It started a long time ago, even since Dante penned his now famous Divine Comedy in 1308, in which he examined the concept of the said and deadly, deadly sins and carried on into the 6th century when a pope re-examined, even, he even added one. And we've gone through this process of examining our dirt and talking about our dirt and looking at our dirt. But the more things change, the more they stay the same. Do you understand that? Back in the 90s, MTV even took notice of dirt, and so they ran this special show called The Seven Deadly Sins. And interestingly enough, their, their take on The Seven Deadly Sins was a little bit different. Imagine that. The, uh, the narrator's name was Kurt Loder, and this is what he said. In the very opening moments of that show, he made this statement. He said, The seven deadly sins are not evil acts, but rather universal human compulsions that can be troubling and highly enjoyable maybe he's right maybe there's nothing wrong with dirt maybe there's nothing wrong with the seven deadly sins maybe maybe those are just sins or maybe they're not even sins maybe they're just compulsions that we all deal with and uh, but I, I beg to differ See, I think that we have to understand what the early theologians understood, even though MTV failed to admit it or grasp it. The reality is this. Man has a tendency to sin. Well, maybe you don't, but I do. Everybody I know does. Has a tendency and a compulsion to sin. We must examine the dirt of our life because in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, listen to what Jesus says. He says, or says to the church, it says, Husbands, love your wives, e- even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it. Why does he want us to do that? That he might sanctify it, having cleansed it by the washing of water with the word. Here, why? That he might present the church to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Did you hear what just was? I just read to you? Jesus has a desire. His desire is that as, as a body, as a group of people, as his church, he wants to present us to his Father without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle, with no dirt. My question is to you this morning, do we have any dirt? Do we have any dirt? We're told that Jesus will wash us by the water of his word. Now, what that means for us is this. As hard as it may be over the next couple of weeks, as badly as it goes against our training because we are trained to cover up, as hard as it is to reveal the dirty areas of our life, what I am asking you to do and what I am challenging you to do is to come face to face once again. Drag it out. It doesn't matter how badly you've covered up. Drag out the dirt of your life and allow the Holy Spirit to cleanse you. We might as well. We ought to know by now that we can't hide it anyway. I can prove that to you out of Scripture. God tells us repeatedly, you can't hide stuff from me. In Psalm chapter 44, verse 21, he says, He knoweth the secrets of the heart. Psalms chapter 90, verse 8, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sin in the light of your presence. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14, For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Evil. Romans chapter 2, verse Verse 16 tells us God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ. 
First Corinthians chapter four, verse five. He, First Corinthians chapter four, verse five. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will explode, expose the motives of men's heart. Ephesians chapter five, verse twelve in the Message Bible. It's a scandal when people waste their lives on things they must do in the darkness where no one will see. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. So why try to hide it? Why try to cover it up? Why try to act like it's not there? Maybe, maybe we ought to just be nice. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't really deal with our dirt. Maybe we ought to just, you know, preach the positive things of the word like the destiny passages and the purpose passages and the joy passages and, and I'm okay and you're okay and we'll all be all right and you're everything in that in a bag of chips and I'll just read those portions of scriptures. He knew you before you were born. He knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. He's got a purpose. That's great and that's true. But the reality is this morning is that we also have to deal with the washing parts of the word which tell us that there is sin in our life and we must deal with it. And so the sins that we want to look at over the next few weeks are not new sins. Pride and greed and lust and envy and gluttony and sloth and anger. Those are the sins. So this morning I want us to look at pride and greed. I'm reminded of a story back uh, from from my era, I guess, back in the 70s and 80s uh, when Muhammad, Muhammad Ali was so popular. You remember him. He was the one that could float like a butterfly and sting like a bee and, and all that stuff. He was a very proud individual. He had reasons to be proud. He was the world champion. And the story goes that one time he went into the airplane and as they were getting ready for takeoff, the stewardess walked by and reminded everybody, you need to fasten your seatbelt. And when she got up to Muhammad Ali, she noticed he didn't have his seatbelt on. And she leaned over and said, hey, uh, Mr. Ali, you need to fasten your seatbelt. And this is his reply. He said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And I love her response. It's classic. She leaned back over and said, Superman don't need no plane either. And the story goes that he looked at her sheepishly and clicked his seatbelt. Pride. Pride may be not only the most common sin of our day, it is probably the most common sin illustrated and committed in Scripture. It started with Eve with her desire to be like God. It transferred over to Naaman when he refused to dip in dirty water. It carried on over to Samson, his mentality of I'm above the rules. I don't have to do what everybody else does. I'm too anointed for that. It even goes into the New Testament when we discover that Peter says he has this proud mentality when he says, I I will never deny you, Jesus. It was pride. It was the common sin of the day. Pride is considered to be the sin from which all the other sins form. Pride is far-reaching. Do you understand that pride is so far-reaching that it even invaded the halls of heaven and caused the worship leader there to get a big head and he had to go out and, and he fell because of pride in his life. The devil himself understands pride because that's what caused him to, to fall. It's been called the mother of all sins. There's a thin line that we have to walk between righteousness and self-righteousness. Another term for pride is vanity. Let me give you the definition of pride. Pride is defined as excessive belief in one's own ability that interferes with the individual's recognition of the grace of God. And yet our society scoffs at the concept of pride. 
In fact, on that same MTV special, they interviewed some rap stars and rock stars and movie stars and asked them about the seven deadly sins. And I find their responses about pride interesting. Some of you may recognize some of these names. Some of you probably won't. But one of the individuals that they interviewed was Queen Latifah. And they asked her about pride. And this is what she said. She said, pride is a sin? I wasn't aware of that. And I like this one. Kirstie Alley took it one step further and she said, I don't think pride is a sin and I think some idiot made that up. And then the rapper Ice-T said this, pride is mandatory. This is one of the problems of the inner city. Kids don't have enough pride. I got into a gang because of pride. See, in our society, we even name magazines vanity. In our society, pride is applauded, pride is rewarded, pride is paid, pride is pictured, pride is no issue in our society. But I want to tell you this morning that pride is an issue in the eyes of God. See, pride comes in many forms and it has many faces. It comes in the form of superiority, I'm better than you are. It it takes on many shapes, it comes in the shape of prejudice. We call it prejudice, but the reality is it's just really pride. It comes clothed in a lot of things. It comes clothed in the white sheets of the KKK. And it comes clothed in the bow ties of a Louis Farrakhan. Pride comes in many forms and shapes. It comes in this idea that I'm rich. I'm better than you. I'm white. I'm more better off than you. I'm more educated than you. I have more ability than you. I'm somebody and you're nobody. That's pride. Pride is shrouded in comparison. And the reality this morning, I want you to hear me, is this, is God is vicious when it comes to pride. Scripture is absolutely vicious when it comes to pride. We all want to say that God is love, and the truth is, He is love. But did you know there are some things that God hates? We discovered that in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. The Bible says this, says, These six things that the Lord hates, yea, seven, are an abomination to Him. Then in verse 17, topping the list, the very first one that He lists is this, A proud look. Pride tops his list as the things that God hates. Have you ever been in a fight that you cannot win? Have you ever squared off against somebody when you knew before? I I did in football. I wasn't very big in eighth grade. I think I weighed 75 pounds, and I decided for some crazy reason to go out for football. Wasn't one of the smarter decisions of my life. And they put me in a fight. I knew I could not win. Do you all remember the drill where they put two, two guys facing one another and they drop the ball in the middle and you both have to go at it? Yeah, they put me, in, they put me up against Corwin Walker. Corwin Walker was about six foot three and weighed about 195. And when we dove for that ball, he hit me so hard that my helmet spun around backwards and I couldn't see anymore. I quit that day, never went back found something else to do like golf or something like that. Why? Because it was a fight that I could not win. It was a fixed fight. I want to tell you this morning, if you've got pride in your life, you are fighting a fight that you cannot win. You have an opponent that you cannot whip because the Bible tells us in James chapter 4 verse 6 that God actually resists. That word resists, it says he resists the proud. That word resists means this, he fights against. It literally means this. If you go back and study the word out, it means this. He is opposite to you. Think about that for a second. God is opposite to you. Proverbs chapter 16, verses 18 and 19 probably say it the best. It says this. First pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, 
the heart of the fall. It's better to live humbly among the poor than to live it up among the rich and famous. There's a great illustration of pride in the Old Testament. His name is King Nebuchadnezzar. You remember that story? The Bible teaches us that he was a great king. He had all the power, all the wealth that a man could ever want. He built a kingdom in his own power and his own might. He was a proud individual. The Bible tells us, you read his story, and this was his boast. He says, is this not Babylon the great, which I have myself have built as a royal residence? Now listen to this. By the might of my own power and for the glory of my majesty. Pride. He Pride raised him up, and let me tell you what happened. God knocked him down. Nebuchadnezzar found out what it's like to have God on the opposite side of you. But Jesus was no less blunt about pride in the New Testament. He, he deals with pride through this story in Luke chapter 18, verse 10. He says this, he says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as the rest of men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be thou merciful to me, a sinner. I say to you, this is what Jesus says, I say unto you, this man went down to his house just Justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be humbled, but he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Jesus dealt with pride in his own disciples. You remember the argument that they had? Uh, they came to Jesus and said, When you come into your kingdom, let me have the best seat. Let everybody know I'm there. Let the paparazzi want to take my pictures. Put my name tag on the seat so everybody knows where I'm supposed to sit. Give me this seat of honor. Do you remember what Jesus did? He chastised them. He rebuked them. He says to them in Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 through 28, Not so shall it be among you, but whosoever would be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever would be first among you shall be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many what jesus taught us in that one moment is this the cure for pride is humility jesus goes one step further and he he gives us that he illustrates he acts out the cure for us he takes a towel the the son of god the divine incarnate god in flesh the creator of the universe the one with no sin the one with no dirt took a towel and wrapped it around his waist and knelt down at the feet of those prideful disciples and washed their nasty feet pride was dealt with with humility. It would do some of us to get our eyes out of the mirror and notice that there are others around us that have pain in their life and hurt in our life in their life and they need a helping hand. Some of us are so proud that we can't we don't even recognize that there are other people that have issues in life and have problems in life. We think the universe spins around us and revolves around us, but the truth is is that there are people around us that need help. But we're too proud. We need to go back and recognize that so much has been so freely given to us. I want to tell you this morning, we didn't deserve it. I want to tell you this morning, it doesn't matter how nice you are. It doesn't matter how good you cleaned up. It doesn't matter how pretty you are, how talented you are, or what your name is. You didn't deserve grace. 
We deserved death. We still deserve death. We still deserve punishment. We still deserve all that God could give us in the way of punishment. But the reality for us this morning, and I'm so thankful, is this. He gave us grace instead. That shouldn't make us proud. That should make us thankful. See, humility is the answer to the pride, to pride. Humility is not weak. It's not this duck your head, I'm a nobody, lack of self-esteem demeanor. It's confidence in who we are and more importantly, whose we are. I am who I am, not because I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps and not because I was the most talented individual in the room. I am who I am because God saw something in me and gave me grace instead of punishment. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. It's not determined by my worth or my works. It's determined by His grace. That shouldn't make me proud. I have no reason to strut or brag. If I'm going to brag, my bragging should only be on one thing, Him. Pride is killed by humility. God always responds to humility. Even King Nebuchadnezzar and all of his pride found out that God will respond to humility. Because He comes back and He changes His tune and He says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all of whose works are truth and His ways justice, and those who walk in pride He is able to put down. He learned a valuable lesson. Tozer says this about humility. He says, a humble man is not a human mouse afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life. He knows he is weak and helpless as God declared him to be. He knows at the same time he is in the sight of God of more importance than the angels. In himself, nothing. In God, everything. Humility is a pride killer. I, I, I want you to understand this morning, we're all created equal. That wasn't some declaration of independence, preamble, or anything else. Some politician sitting around somewhere trying to write something that sounded good. That is a principle from the throne of God. We are all created different or equal. We are different, but we are equal. That means if I'm white, I didn't have a choice in that. It means if I'm black, I didn't have a choice in that. If I'm brown, I didn't get to say I wanted to be brown. The reality is, is we are who we are, and we don't take pride in those things. You say, well, I grew up in a rich family. You didn't get to cho choose that. Somebody, somebody brought that. That was just the grace of God. Well, I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. That wasn't your choice. That's the, that's the place that God placed you to, to grow up in. You can't take pride in that stuff. We take pride over crazies. I want us to grow, to, to become like children. There were this group of children. They, they uh, scrambled around the neighborhood, and they went and they found all this scrap cardboard and pieces of tin and they they went out into the woods that were behind their house in that neighborhood and they built this little clubhouse and you know it wasn't anything grand it wasn't anything special it was just a clubhouse that they could call their own and it was their own little private place to go play games and spend time with one another and they decided after they finally got it constructed they got inside the playhouse and they began to talk and they said you know what if we're going to have a playhouse a clubhouse we need to make up some rules so they began to talk back and forth, and they finally settled on three rules that they posted in the, in the clubhouse. And I think these are the three rules we ought to operate by as Christians. This is what the three rules were. Number one, number one rule, nobody act big. Rule number two, nobody act small. Rule number three, everybody act medium. 
Maybe we ought to go get some shirts that say, I'm a medium. Now, I know there's a double meaning there, but maybe it would remind us that we're not supposed to be acting so big and we're not supposed to be acting so small. We're all just medium. Too much pride destroys our relationship with each other, with each other and with God. The second deadly sin is greed. In the movie The Wall Street, or Wall Street, uh, Michael Douglas. I know y'all are too young to remember Wall Street, but I remember Wall Street. Y'all don't even know who Michael Douglas is, do you? Mike, see, look at that. <laughs> Michael Douglas, he's this famous actor, by the way. You, you'll learn. He, he's a famous actor, and, and he played this guy named Gordon Gecko. And he was this corporate raider, and he stood up in front of this group of stockholders, and he made this, this famous speech. This is what he said. He says, greed is good. Greed works. Greed is right. Greed clarifies, cuts through and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms. Greed for life, money, love, knowledge has marked the upward surge of mankind. Donald Trump. There's you a great theologian. Donald Trump chimed in with this sentiment. He said this. He said, you can't be too greedy. Really? So greed is good. We found out just how good greed is recently when they did a survey. And they asked Americans, what would you do for $2 million? Here were four of the responses. 25% of those surveys said they would be willing to abandon their families for $2 million. 23% said they would become prostitutes for a week. Let that sink in. 16% said they would leave their spouse for $2 million. And 3% said they would put their kids up for adoption for $2 million. I want to tell you this morning that greed is not good. Greed is very closely related to pride and often stems out of pride. In fact, a really good connecting example in Scripture is found in Acts chapter 4 when Ananias and Sapphira, you remember them, they are the ones that walked in with the swagger. They were the ones that walked in with pride. They wanted everybody to notice them. They wanted everybody to notice their sacrifice. They're the ones that went to the bank right before church and got all their $100 bills changed into pennies so that when they could come into the service and they passed the offering bucket, you could drop it all in and everybody would know that they just made a huge sacrifice and gave a great offering. They were greedy. They were proud. They were arrogant. And they had this deal in their life called greed. But let me remind you, they were also dead. Just in case we forgot. They're on the who's who of great offerings of all time. But they're also out in a cemetery struck dead by God because of their greed. Greed is defined as the desire for material wealth or gain. Ignoring the realm of the spiritual. It's also called covetedness. Greed is ca- causes us to be stingy. It causes us to be mean. It causes us to be selfish and self-centered and driven. But perhaps the most glaring thing about greed was found in that simple definition that I gave you when it says it causes us to ignore the realm of the spiritual. We get our eyes off of godly things and we become so wrapped up in material things that we lose sight of God. Doesn't that sound like America to you? Doesn't that sound like modern church to you? Did you know that the average American right now 
averages spending $1,000 a year feeding their pets. The same average American gives an average of $600 a year to charity or church. What does that say to us? It says we love our pets more than we love God or people. Come on, let that sink in this morning. That's the average American. And I could get really specific and talk about the average Christians because we don't do any better. See, most of us are so wrapped up in material things. We are so greedy. We have clothes in our closet that we can't wear and won't wear. While there are people all over the world that are struggling to find one little piece of cloth to wear. Exposed to the elements, dying. And we got closets full of clothes. I got clothes in my closet that I haven't, li- I haven't worn in three years. I'm just being honest. Don't look at me like that. You do too. You couldn't get into them if you tried. Or you wouldn't. Be- you're just waiting for the day when they come back into style. But we could go into our closets and find bukus of stuff to help people with, but we won't because we're greedy. Most of us have more food than we know what to do with. This afternoon when we go to lunch, and I hope you have a great lunch, and I hope you enjoy your lunch, but the truth is is that most of us will go to a restaurant or go home and eat, and we will throw food away without a second thought, or we'll allow our kids to turn their nose up at it and say, I don't like that, and we won't make them eat it. And there are people right now dying every few seconds of starvation in this world, and we never give it a second thought because we're greedy. Can I get really into our mess this morning? Most of you... Maybe I say, maybe I should say us. Most of us spent more on coffee this week than we spent on God. Most of us worked harder for that dream house and that dream car and more hours for those possessions than we actually spent with our family. We are greedy. Y'all ain't liking me much very this morning. I understand, but I'm just telling you the truth. See, Job understood that greed creates a problem. Job said it like this in Job chapter 20, verses 18 through 29. He understood the problem with greed. He said, they spit out their food, half-chewed, unable to relax and enjoy anything they've worked for. And why? Because they exploited the poor. They took what never belonged to them. Such God-denying people are never content with what they have or who they are. Their greed drives them relentlessly. They plunder everything, but they can't hold on to any of it. Just when they think they have it all, disaster strikes. They're served, they served up a plate of, full of misery. When they, when they filled their bellies with that, God gives them a taste of His anger, and they get to chew on that for a while. As they run for their lives from one disaster, they run smack into another. They're knocked down, they're knocked around from pillar to post, beaten to within an inch of their lives. They're trapped in a house of whores and see their loot disappear down a black hole. Their lives are a total loss. Not a penny to their name. Not so much as a bean. God will strip them of their sin-soaked clothes and hang their dirty laundry out for all to see. Life is a complete wipeout for them. Nothing surviving God's wrath there. That's God's blueprint for the wicked, what they have to look forward to. Boy, that's beautiful, isn't it? That's vicious, isn't it? That's blunt. Job is basically saying this to us. You can't take it with you. I've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. 
you're not taking it with you, what you're selling your soul and your life for right now, you will never take it with you. It might be a nice house. It might be a nice car. It might be nice clothes. It might be fame. It may be recognition. But our greed, what drives our greed, will never be able to take it with us. It's fleeting. It's just for a moment. We'll find ourselves at a total loss. Greed leads to tragedy and pain. Jesus had the exact same attitude towards greed. In Luke chapter 12, verses 15 through 21, he tells a parable, and this is how it goes. He says, speaking to the people, he went on, take care, protect yourself against the least bit of greed. Life is not, listen to this, life, listen to this, life, listen to this, life is not defined by what you have. Let that sink in. Just because you drive an expensive car doesn't make you a better person. Just because you live in a nice neighborhood doesn't make you a better person. Just because you have designer clothes on this morning does not make you a better person. Life is not defined by what you have, even what you have a lot. Even when you have a lot, doesn't define us. Then he told them the story. The farm of a certain rich man produced a a terrific crop. He talked to himself, what can I do? My barn isn't big enough for this harvest. Then he said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build a bigger one. Then I'll gather all my grain and goods, and I'll say to myself, self, I know y'all don't talk to yourself, but this guy talked to himself, self, you've done well. You've got it made, and now you can retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. And just then, God showed up and said, fool, Tonight you die, and your barn fulls of goods, who gets it? Listen to this. Here's Jesus' commentary. That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. My question is this morning is how many of us, our lives are completely full of self. All we think about is ourselves. Always spend money on is ourselves. You know, you can, def- you can find out where a man's heart is by looking in his checkbook. Whatever you've been writing your checks to this week reveals where your heart is. How you spend your money reveals where your heart is. And I am saying to you this morning that if you fill your life with self rather than God, tragedy will come. It's not what I said. It's what God said. Nelson Rockefeller of the Rockefeller family that had more money than they know what to do with. They, I think I read one time that they had an average of a million dollars a week that they could just blow. We all want to be there. Come on. One time they asked Nelson Rockefeller, how much money is enough? You know what his answer was? Just one more dollar. That's what greed does. Greed drives us and grips us until we can never have enough. Go ask the rich young ruler about greed. What the rich young ruler teaches us is this, is that our greed can cause us, hear me, can cause us to actually turn and walk away from Jesus. If we get our eyes on things and we we allow that to consume us and to control us and to obsess us, we can actually come to the place where we lose God. If we get our eyes so consumed and get our love so wrapped up in the lake house and get our love so wrapped in that bike and so our love so wrapped up in that car and our love so wrapped up in that thing, we can actually walk away from God. 
you know what? I want you to have all that stuff. I believe that God wants to prosper us. The Bible says that I, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. I believe with all of my heart that God wants to give you possessions. Here's the, kick, here's the kicker though. He doesn't want you to become possessed by the possessions. He doesn't want us to get so wrapped up in his gifts that we forget who's giving us that stuff. So that he gives us that, that stuff so that we can become a blessing and bless others. I want to challenge you this morning that it's bad enough that most of us want what we cannot have. What's worse is that most of us have become driven and obsessed by what we don't even need. For instance, I have a good wife. But we're so greedy that we want another one. I want one with a, a fewer digits in her age. And I want one with a better body. And I want one with better hair. And Come on, give me a break. What is up with that? We have a nice car that gets us from point A. You realize that it doesn't matter if it's a Mercedes or a Volkswagen. All it really does is gets us from point A to point B. You understand that, right? But we get a nice car and suddenly we become consumed by, I need a better car. We get a nice house and we want a bigger house. Greed. That's what it is, greed. We want not just... We want things we don't even need. I'm preaching hard, but I'm preaching right. You don't have to amen me this morning. I know I'm preaching right. We are a greedy generation. We are greedy people. It's consumed us. Materialism has creeped over into the church, and we are materialistic. If I can't come to your church and give a love gift of $50, and you promise me I get a Mercedes, then I ain't coming to your church. If you don't have prayer cloths that you can pray over and send me in the mail for a $100 donation and, and guarantee me that all my bills will be paid off, then I'm not listening to you. Then don't listen to me because it doesn't work that way. I want to give us some real practical stuff here this morning. Greed is greedy. So my goal in, in this whole series is to draw attention to these sins again. I want to tell you, and you'll see this as we go through the next two weeks. We went out on the streets down in downtown Oklahoma City. Uh, Mike, help me. We probably ask, oh, I don't know, 70 different people to tell us what the seven deadly sins are. Guess how many could name them? Zero. They'd even watched the movie that came out several years ago called Seven that was based on the seven deadly sins, and they still couldn't name them. Zero. The most we got was, I think, four out of seven. I got everything from, what are the seven deadly sins? Homosexuality. Uh, fornication, lying. They can't, they don't know the se- I want to bring attention again to these particular seven deadly sins and allow Jesus to wash these things out of our life. But let me tell you this morning, we got to take some practical steps too. Can I give them to you real quick? Here's my challenge. I, I gave you a little piece of paper. There, you should have one per family at least. I want you to get with your family. You're you're probably not going to be able to. I don't want you to do this by yourself. Parents, I want you to get with your kids. Husband, I want you to get with your wife. Wife with your husband. I want you to get with your families. I want you to put this homework sheet on your refrigerator or somewhere that you frequent on a regular basis. And I want you to think about it and to do what you write down. If you just go through the motions and write this stuff down, it won't do you any good. But we're going to break and expose the dirt in our life and get rid of it. So are you ready? Here's my challenge. I've got three things that I want you to do. One of these three things, you can write the one down that fits for you, all right? 
We're going to break pride, and this is how we're going to do this. You need to understand that pride is revealed by you how you treat others. So, three things. One of these three things. One is, let somebody in line ahead of you when you go to lunch today. I know you're in the line first, and if you let them in the line, it means you have to wait longer. But just step out of the way and say, no, I would prefer that you go first. The the second simple thing that you could do is this. You could spend some time with someone who isn't as well-off, gifted, or as good-looking as you. For some of you, will have to look really hard. Others, that'll be easy. Think about that for just a second. I know you're right, and that went right over your head. Like me, I can just walk out the door and find somebody instantly. Not that hard. But I want you to find somebody that's not as well off. That means they don't drive the car that you drive. They don't have the nice clothes that you you have. They don't live in the same neighborhood you live in. But you go and spend some time with them. Maybe they're at work. Maybe you go out and buy them lunch. Maybe you do something to bless them. Here's the third one. And this is the one I hope a lot of you will do. Serve in some capacity or role that is beneath you. Like cleaning a toilet. Or picking up trash. Or some role that you just think, man, I could never do that. That's beyond, that, that's so far beneath me, I would never do that. Go find some role, some capacity that is beneath you, and do it this week with no chance of recognition, thanks, or applause. That will break pride in your life. That's your homework this week. Now, how do we deal with greed? We're going to try to get greed out of our lives. How are we going to do it? We're going to give something away. This is what I want you to do with your family. I want you to go home, and I want you to find something nice. That's a key word, nice. Not hand-me-downs that you were getting ready to get rid of anyway. Don't go clean out your closet full of clothes and decide to give those away when in your car you got 42 new outfits. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking to you go find something that you and your kids just think, I can't live without this. Yes, you can. Go find that thing that's nice and that you can't live without and give it away. Maybe it's a car in your driveway that you don't use. Maybe it's a toy that's consumed the lives of your kids. Maybe it's a meal. Maybe maybe you could go to a restaurant and pay for the people that are coming up next, about four down, point them out to the the, the waitress. You see the, the guy in the white hat down there i want to pay for his meal too. and don't ever let them know you did it that way you won't be proud give something away. find someone with a need and help them resolve that need and do it anonymously that's your homework this week I, we're gonna we're, we're gonna make you turn, turn your homework no i can't make you turn your homework in I, I wished i could over the course of this week you've got two tasks as families as individuals as couples get rid of pride Prefer somebody else. And two, deal with greed. Why? Because it's dirt. And dirt interrupts our fellowship and our relationship with God. I want you to stand with me this morning. We're going to model this. Julie and I are going to go home with our boys and we're going to figure out how do we break pride and how do we break greed. You know, for some of you, that's going to be really difficult 
do any of you know that know of anybody that has so has all kinds of stuff, but they won't give anything away? Did you see them in the mirror this morning? Because that's how most of us are. We got to break this stuff in our life if we want to have unobstructed fellowship with God. And I don't know what you want. But I want to be able to walk into his presence and, and say, you know what? Levitic, Le, Leviticus chapter 21 says, if I have blemish in my life, I can't even come next to your altar, God. I don't want that. I want, to, I want you to welcome me with open arms. I want to call your name and have you reply. That's what I want to happen. Father, this morning, examine our hearts and our lives. Your word teaches us that you already know what's in our heart. I guess the problem is, Father, is that most of us just deceive ourselves. We don't think there's any pride in our life. And yet we snob people and we snub people and our nose is up in the air. And we won't stoop down to help anybody. And I would definitely wouldn't serve unless you're going to print my name in the bulletin, applaud me, and give me recognition. God, break pride. I wouldn't do something extra at work unless they're going to pay. Break pride. Help us to make a name for you, not for us. Father, this morning I pray that as we go home today, that as families and individuals and couples, we would take this homework seriously. We would go home and figure out how we can serve and how we can minister to others with no hope of recognition, with no hope of applause. Because we understand that if we don't, you're on the opposite side against us and failure is guaranteed. And I don't want to fight with you, God. You're too big. You're too strong. And you always win. And I don't want to fight with you. So God, remove pride out of my life. When that person cuts me off this afternoon on the freeway and pride rises up and says, who do you think you... Cut pride out of my life. Let me prefer others over me. Father, I pray that greed, the spirit of greed would be broken over me and my household, my family, my kids my church, my, my people here, oh God. God, I pray that we would honestly go home and ask ourselves some hard questions about the material possessions at our house and in our closet and in our wallet and in our bedroom and in our car and in our garage. Father, if the possessions have suddenly possessed us, I pray that greed would be broken in the name of Jesus. God, I pray right now that we would have a generous heart. God, I pray that you would replace greed with generosity and we would begin to give things away. We would find people that aren't as blessed as we have been. And we will model for them what has happened for us. You blessed us, so now we bless them. Father, I pray that we wouldn't grip anything too tightly. 
that we would understand that everything that we have you gave to us and if you required of us we will give it up instantly without argument Father help us to carry out the homework this week and find something that means something to us and willingly willingly give it away Father I pray over this congregation right now I pray over Passion Church that pride would not be one of our characteristics or attributes we come against that spirit in the name of Jesus we're here by the grace of God if we grow we grow by the grace of God if we prosper we prosper by the grace of God if we have impact it's by the grace of God if we preach powerful messages it's by the grace of God if we sing powerful songs that people want to come and listen to it's by the grace of God God we stand amazed by your grace and Father I also pray over this body and this church we will not be greedy Father, I declare that the spirit of greed would be broken off of us. And Father, I won't be more concerned about if the air conditioner is cold so that I can be comfortable than I am about the fact that there's people all around us that are dying and starving to death and freezing to death and suffering in the heat. God, we will not be greedy. We will find inventive ways to give everything we can give away. The more you bless us, the more we give away. What you've made happen for us, we will make happen for others. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, my last prayer is this. I pray you'd wake every one of my people up over the course of this week. If they go to sleep and they haven't done the homework, I pray that they wouldn't be able to go to sleep. I pray that while they're watching the TV, in the back of their minds, rolling over, I've got homework to do until they'll get rid of the the TV. They'll turn it off and do what you've called them to do. God, I pray that as soon as we walk out these doors, we would see our eyes would suddenly open and we would find places and ways to, to, to minister and get rid of pride and greed. Don't let us just go through the motions this morning. Let us carry out this homework so that we'll be clean and pure without spot or blemish. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You're free to go this morning. We love you. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday for the rest of this series. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.